forward to leading in more normal times, Hillsborough County Public Schools Superintendent Jeff Akins told the Tampa Bay Times editorial board on Thursday, April 13th. With those words, I'd like to welcome you to podcast, a regular feature of the Times Gradebook Education blog. I'm reporter Marlene Sokol, and along with my colleague Jeff Solacek, I'm pleased to bring you into the interview we just concluded with Mr. Akins, who is now entering his second year as leader of the nation's eighth largest school district. We asked Mr. Aikens about a lot of things, many having to do with money, as we just learned that the district will need to spend about a billion dollars, and that's billion with a B, building schools to accommodate new residents, even though it is already about a billion dollars, again with a B, in debt from the last building boom. We talked about those controversial school start times. He spoke about high poverty schools like Potter Elementary School and steps the district is taking to get a stable faculty of experienced teachers there. And, of course, we discussed the legislature, which could wreak havoc on public school systems all over the state. Mr. Akins was joined by Cindy Stewart, chairwoman of the school board, and it was a lively discussion at times. Let's have a listen. So, obviously, some of the, the big uh, issues around our strategic plan are graduation rates. That's, that was front and center when our um, board and staff developed that. And so we've Obviously, made strides. I know the Times reported that out uh, this past year. So our our grad rates went up 3.1 percent. Uh, we started closing gaps in all of our various subgroups. Our African American students' uh, grad rates went up six percentage points. Um, Hispanic males, um, you know, over five percentage points. So a lot of good things happening, and it really was um, a work in progress on developing the right type of culture that we need in this district around knowing kids and, and building the right relationships with them. We, we thought we had good instruction in place, but it's it's how do you really support kids the right way? And and so we put a lot of we've matched that culture and relationships piece with processes that we felt like are critical to keep our eye on every single issue that students are facing, and then also how to help them overcome that. So there is not. Uh, one child that's left in the cohort in the senior class by which we don't know what they need right now in order to graduate and keep them on track to graduate. We offered a lot of extra things like special SAT days, ACT days, so kids could get concordance scores and things like that. Um, obviously, we some of the things that we've been working at our high-need schools is going to be critical for our graduation uh, rates to continue to increase. Um, as those gaps continue to close, we've got to make sure we have the right leaders in our schools. So I know we've been uh, talking with Marlene a lot about our Pathways programs that have been a, a year in development. Uh, our leadership program, which we now have a turnaround leadership program where uh, leaders are, are um, actually going through their EDS program with uh, University of South Florida, so that, with a specialty in turnaround leadership. Uh, we just had our last uh, school board meeting, just transferred four highly effective principals into our high-need schools. And then this past Monday, Another key part is getting the right teachers in our high need schools. Um, in our district for a number of years, it was, a, it was um, kind of, uh, we could attract but maybe not retain. And the key element on why we couldn't retain is perhaps they didn't have all the right support systems in place to help them be successful at, at their high needs placements. So we just um, had our pathways, our first recruitment fair this past Monday for our high need schools. And we had 60 teachers uh, that were uh, hired that night into our high need schools, seven at Potter. 
uh, with two more waiting. So we're, we're um, moving in that right direction. And these are teachers that will also get support um, post-sec. Um, they'll get um, uh, in that Pathways program. Um, there will be some tuition that will be, um, will, they'll be supported with in, in that program as well. Um, you may or may not know about this, but part of the strategy around leveling the playing field in our high-need schools and increasing those graduation rates is a long-term strategy, and that's our early childhood space. Um, there's, a lot of it, there's a lot of need in early childhood. That means kids coming into school ready to learn. Um, schools such as Potter, uh, some of our high-need schools have a kindergarten readiness rate of about 30%. That means students, when they get there, are already not exhibiting you know, on track to be successful. So I've been having um, four conversations, have another one this next week, um, with some early childhood leaders across this community to develop the will. Um, uh, some of the, the um, barriers we've been facing to increase access for our kids in, our, in all of our neighborhoods. And that's uh, another key part of, of the strategy in, in, as we increase access, increase quality, kids come in ready to learn. School turnaround isn't going to be an issue in the future as long as we have kids coming in ready to learn on the first day. Um, and that 30% number, was, that's a number that's, that are ready or are That aren't, are, that are ready. They are ready. Yeah, so you're talking about right, many of So as a district, we're at 46% overall. So that means that our high-need uh, um, schools, there's it could be in the 20s and 30s. And so you know that race to catch up is a, is a race because once they get to third grade, you know they're part of the accountability system right away. So we have to make sure they're on target there. Now, I know in Pinellas they're given uh, additional pay for... Uh, yeah. Are you doing that in tiny schools? Yeah, so we have, we've been doing that actually for almost 15 years. So in a, as you, if you go into a high-need school right now, you get an additional $3,600. Um, if you're an experienced teacher, um, I think more than 10 years, less than 10 years, you get $2,300 uh, increased pay. And uh, actually, if you're a national board-certified teacher in our high-need schools, you get an additional $4,500. So there are teachers who go into our high-need schools annually they get about eight to ten thousand dollars more than what their base salary is, and then and that's the that's the interesting part about it, um, Tim is is you would the dollars are one thing, right. but we saw people not stay even with those dollars. It was really more about leadership and support. Right. I was going to make that mm -hmm. point. That's what the union keeps saying. Yep. It's about the leader, not yep. Yeah. Leadership and support. How the leader supports the teachers, uh, to and then ultimately that the, the teachers get different types of support systems, professional development, and that's what this Pathways program kind of offers them. Um, and, and then even talking about things such as we've been talking a lot about with bell times. I mean, bell times is really going back and making decisions about what's, uh, how to maximize instructional time for kids. And, um, you know, right now we've been shortchanging at the front end of many of our days the number of minutes the students are receiving instruction because we have had a schedule that doesn't allow our buses to get to their next stop and drop off for kids to get in seats to, to start to learn. So even looking at those processes are critical to increasing our graduation rates. And then we've been doing a lot with the workforce area, the workforce connections. Uh, I don't know if you were, were you at the Bill Tampa Bay event last week? No. So one of, those, one of the things we're doing in our high schools is they take a future plans assessment in 10th grade and it, it automatically starts to connect them with future careers in the Tampa Bay region. And so um, this is our, what we did at the port last week is, and the governor was there actually, is about 800 students came from our career tech uh, programs with all of the building and construction trades unions and vendors and providers and even some post-secondary technical college folks. And kids were 
um, were interviewed that day. They actually had a, like a signing day like you do with athletics. Mm-hmm. At the end where kids were up on stage with a hat um, and they signed something when they were actually hired mm-hmm. there at that particular. But that's something that we want to start to be promoting more for our kids. It's, there's different pathways. You know, you can, and those pathways can be, uh, in some cases, uh, much more fruitful uh, economically. And, and if you get them right into that, uh, that job or that skill that they, that they really have a passion for. So uh, a couple other things just um, that we've been working on in the strategic plan, obviously around financial stewardship, because I know there's been a lot of uh, stories that we've been uh, talking with Marlene over the years, with, with over the last couple of years, with um, how we're uh, leveling off some of the challenges we were facing. I mean, we had over a $100 million budget deficit when I came in as superintendent, um, and we knew we couldn't continue the pathway we were going. It wasn't sustainable. And so we knew we, had to, we were in the crosshairs of making some very tough decisions. Uh, so how do you protect children? How do you protect our employees as we go through this process? And obviously, you know, we're in a, we're in a much better place. we got a ways to go in that area. But both of our bond rating agencies just came out this past um, a couple of months, and we went from a negative outlook back to a stable. So that's positive. I went up in December to New York City and presented in front of all the bond rating agencies our plan, and they felt very confident in what we had done uh, to really get there. And we've had to make some very difficult decisions, and I think I the one thing that has been um, probably the most prominent in my first couple of years is having to be vocal and public with, with some tough decisions and some challenges. I mean, that's something you have to put out there. You have to know you have to face them head on, and people uh, have to know kind of why you know, you're going about making the, some of those decisions. Uh, we, this past year, we uh, reassigned over 150 staff. Uh, many of them were, uh, were at the district level, administrators, back to classrooms where there were vacancies. And, and in Hillsborough County, that hasn't happened. Um, and, but it needed to happen because we knew that um, that's where kids are and that's where we need to serve them. And so we uh, did that reassignment. We, we, we're going to save between 8 to $10 million recurring just from that one decision in reassigning uh, people back in front of kids. And uh, that was not just administrators, that was um, uh, out-of-classroom teachers and even clerical staff back to our schools to support our schools. Um, we have, uh, obviously, courtesy busing was a, is, a, is a conversation we've had. And we're, we're um, you know, coming in and knowing you're, only, you're the only superintendent out of 67 districts that are continuing to do courtesy busing. And uh, 66 other districts don't do it uh, because they know what the statute says and they follow the statute. Um, then you know that creates challenges that you've got to make a tough decision about which people are receiving a service that we have to kind of talk about and talk through. That's why we um, made parents aware eight to ten months in advance that we were going to have to make this particular decision. Uh, that's $3 million that can go back to classrooms and back to our schools as well. And, um, but it's, it also um, it provides some more efficiencies with, within our transportation system that, uh, that we need. And what now, is the progress on, some, on the air conditioning and some yeah. of those... Uh, building issues that, that we've written about. Well, after uh, after the bill that's up the, that they're floating up in the, the Tallahassee, it's not going to get any easier, no, no, right? No. <laughs> because that's going to that's going to take some dollars away from um, from our typical capital budgets, and so we're we're watching that very very closely. Um, you know, some of the things that we have to look at is um, we have a priority list right now that we are targeting some of our schools. We got a, a priority list. Um, to to use funds to be able to, to address um, it, that, the challenge, Tim was we had uh, we had about a ten year period by which we built like seventy five schools and they're all aging out at the exact same time mm-hmm. and all their systems are starting to you know so it's how you and at that same time we we lost 
went from two mils to 1.5, and you know, millions and millions of dollars were, were lost that we could have been uh, keeping many of those things up to date. So we, we realize that's a, ch- that's a challenge, but we do have a, a prioritization now that we're moving forward and addressing some of the, the, the air conditioning needs. We know that um, it would have been nice to see at least if, the, if the, whatever the final bill comes out, you know, with regards to capital at the legislative level, we were hoping to see a little bump in that. Initially, they were talking like 1.5, 1.7, and then there was a 2.0 conversation at one point. I don't think they're there right now. I think they're back to 1.5. So that would really mean a, a loss of four to five million dollars out of our, our capital, just like that, that we would have been having in the, in the past. And the other thing to know, um, not only did we build 70 schools in 10 years, but we also owe the debt on those schools. And so out of our capital budget of about 135, um, 130, $135 million, almost half of that money goes to pay the mortgage. And so you now, in, in, in Hillsboro, you're down to half your budget left to take care of a massive needs. And out of that, now we may lose another 4 to $5 million. And so that's something we really have to get all of our... Um, you know, priorities straight on our capital side, uh, but it, it's it's going to be a challenge, and that it's going to obviously mean that uh, in the future, how do we address that shortfall? You know, debt may you know we're already far into debt with the building of the schools, so that's going to be a challenge. So it's it's how we use some of our we still get community investment tax dollars, we still get some things through revenue, but that's going to run out at some point. Um, so we gotta we ha- have to as a district kind of look at how we might um, be able to gain revenue, you know, in the future. And that's one of the really I will tell you that's one of the things I take I'm taking very seriously why I want to make sure we get on better footing as a school system financially and and build trust with our community and how we use our resources is because if we ever do have to address an, uh you know going because you're to, gonna need more money yeah and whenever yeah, exactly whenever whenever we we have that that collective will to say this might be something we have to do, that the, that the public sees what we have done and that we're not you know, looking the other way and ignoring issues and throwing money uh, that should have been back in classrooms. And, and I take that very seriously. I think that builds the case uh, over time for when the right time is to do that. And so that's, uh, um, but it, it is um, it's, it's definitely a, a challenge that we are going to continue to face, and it's obvious that we're not going to get as much help as we thought we were going to get. Well, also, if you read the Tyndale Oliver report, and I've only read the seven-page executive summary, but it's it talks about a billion dollars worth of new construction yeah. between twenty-three and thirty-eight yeah. schools, and mm-hmm. even if if the board would raise impact fees, which we don't, the it's basically that's in the commission, the county commissions. Oh, that's you're yeah. right. It's the county yeah. commission. Okay, yeah. so that's yeah. an, another layer of politics. Right. Right. But. Even if that were to happen, it would be a hundred million dollars short. Absolutely, or maybe I, I think it's even dollars. yeah. I think it's even more than that. Um, so I, I think if you look at the the need for the building of new construction based off of what that report shows, if we, if you know, let's say the economy stays as is and we continue to grow, uh, yeah, we're we're talking a hundred to three hundred million dollars short on on what we'll need. Uh, just for, just in the new construction, I think it was stating that we might need like eight hundred million, and yeah. there was like. Impact fees might be five hundred and fifty million. Exactly, like mm-hmm. a shortfall either yeah. way. With the um, need for new construction, and there is a need for the public to have confidence mm-hmm. in in how you're managing your money. Mm-hmm. The one criticism I hear here and there is that there is still a very large bureaucracy. There mm-hmm. is still a large number of people making six figure salaries. Mm-hmm. Although you've redeployed teachers yeah. and clerical workers. And there was some discussion of this mm-hmm. at the last school board meeting mm-hmm. when you talked about it. 
how, how would you address yeah. that criticism? I'll, I'll, no, I'll address it head on. Here's, here's how. I, I do know we're down 25 to 30 district level administrators than we were last year. Okay. So uh, a, a lot of that you, you don't see because uh, people go vacant and we just don't fill and we get rid of units. And that doesn't okay. necessarily come out, you know, in a... Uh, now you, you see some of, th some of it through the reorganization, you know, reorganizations that occur from time to time. I will tell you, I, I'm a... Um, I grew up in the, in, the, in the bureaucracy, so to speak. One of the things I, I find as a, as a challenge for the community is when they can't get issues handled directly. And I feel like too, sometimes too many people in the middle of the organization and, and having to go through different channels to finally get to the expert that can answer mm -hmm. your question is, a, is an issue. And, and in a large organization, it's tough to un, unhitch that, you know. So one of the pieces that I felt like was important for us to... Because um, we had... Let's just talk area superintendents. Yeah. That was the one move. So in the area superintendent role, there, the, there wasn't a, a job description that really led that, in that, that particular position to be an expert in curriculum and some, other, some of those key areas. So what, would, what did we do as a district? We, we hired lots of different administrators on special assignment, uh, DRTs, um, principal coaches, all different kinds of, of middle positions to do the work that perhaps if we had the right one or two people in the roles, they could be the ones delivering the expertise to the schools right away. And so what we did, we, we built up a lot in the middle mm -hmm. to do the work that I felt like if we had the right person in the work and doing the work that we could, we could redeploy many of those um, staff members or even eliminate many of those staff members uh, in those positions. And that's kind of the, the what I, when I, Think of the bureaucracy and the challenges that a large district, that an outsider or some or a parent or someone faces. It's because they see all the different layers, and I kind of want to cut through those layers, streamline, streamline it, and, and and make the area superintendent the person that doesn't have to rely on five people to do the work when he or she can do the work. Mm -hmm. So, so you've cut middle level managers, yep. and we've seen some of them go back into the classroom right. and okay. or or principal positions. Or principal. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, and it, it's it's more of a I, I lived it so I know exactly where the frustration lied and and so that is that's part of uh, kind of the how you and, and I feel like having the relationships with people in the organization I've said this before I've spent a lot of relational capital <laughs> um, because I, I feel like I do know what some of the uh, issues uh, have been and therefore how to how can we kind of get to the solution It's not easy because when people have jobs that are created for that purpose and they see those jobs going away or they see them be, being redeployed, there's a sense of loss and there's a sense of maybe a, did you not appreciate what I was doing? That's not the case. It, it was like we, build that, we, we built that up because we weren't addressing who, may need, who, who, who should have been the expert all along. Seeing how difficult it has been, and particularly at this point of the year, to to get support for right. a bell time changes, mm -hmm. you're looking at probably re redistricting. No way about it. You've got some schools that are... Uh, yeah, re redrawing boundaries. Yeah. Um, you have schools that are half empty, Correct. schools that are... And then that's part of the equation that Tyndall Oliver Correct. set out. So. As difficult as this is with the bell time, what does that tell you moving ahead yeah. so, when you have to redraw So balance? part of, if you, can't, if you just can't get revenue overnight, then you better take advantage of every single place you have in your school district uh, that currently is available, that you know that there is space. And that's a, 
it, part of the challenge I know that the, the board and, and staff have been struggling with, with boundaries is, is almost how the, this community has grown, the, the way it's grown. Um, you know, I kind of see it in, in like a like a dartboard. You know, have different rings around the dartboard, and so we have we have grown outward and sprawled, and sprawled in large uh, spaces in between geographies. So it, it creates challenges when you're trying to draw, you know, redraw boundaries, and, and really how to because a lot of times families build and they buy homes in communities for schools, and so you have to you have to honor that, right? Yeah, that's 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 something they were expecting when they when they bought their homes. Uh, now you know, um, you know, 25 years ago, this district went into a large-scale um, magnet um, program uh, implementation. So that, crea that created in, our, in a lot of our urban areas, um, you know, the, 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 the um, taking students out of those schools and then using a lottery system to fill them up. And that, had, that worked, but, I, but it's become what we recognize as, as the sprawl has continued to go out to the third and fourth ring, so to speak, in the community. The draw into the into the urban areas where those magnet schools are are not as strong, yeah. and so one of the things that I that we really have to look at is a then then how are we going to make schools that are that have empty seats in our urban areas the very best schools we can make them? What what's what's going to be very different, unique about what we offer in those uh, locations? First, if we're not going to have students that come from from many miles away, then what must we do for to create equity and great instruction for every student that is boundaried into those particular schools? So, uh, and then the other part of this is, then, why do we just want to if we if we sprawl to a point that the draw into magnet programs or theme programs isn't happening as strong as we want it to be? Then why can't we start to regionalize? theme-based and, and magnet types of programs out in our communities where that sprawl has occurred so, because they haven't had that opportunity or they won't get that opportunity for those types of whether um, particular types of programs that, that we could offer. So I think we have to think of it a little bit kind of twofold. Uh, how do we make our schools within our urban core that have empty seats right now the very best that they can be? So the, the, the solution around Cahoon and Van Buren that we've been talking through is a perfect example to that. Um, that's why we started, we're starting a year and a half before that school even has any kind of um, you know, uh, new look to it, so to speak. And, and so it, it's having conversations about you know, if we wanted to make a, a school in that particular community the very best that it could, it could be and, and very unique, what would it look like? Um, we have to uh, make sure that in, when we do that, however, that we we got to remember there are there are going to be costs associated to that. Um, there's going to have to be community that we have to think about that are going to feel a sense of loss. So we're, there's a Cahoon family there that we have to consider very much as we make decisions uh, around that particular uh, school. And, and I've always said from the very beginning that if there are seats available at, at, at any Cahoon Van Buren, Van Buren merger, and that's ultimately going to come to the board you know, for some level of approval, that we can't forget <coughs> the investment that families and teachers have, and employees have made into that particular school because they've chosen that school to go to. So it's, it's, um, that's still got to be on the table of how we perhaps, we have to, we have to create boundaries because it can't be a magnet anymore because we need the seats because of all the different growth and, and, and the closing mosey and so forth. So we, we need those particular seats. So if we're going to get those seats, then how can we uh, make sure that people who have had a seat there for a while uh, still have an opportunity to stay on. It could be through an attractor type of program that we, we keep seats available for as we make those kinds of decisions.
You've had a neighboring county that's just gone through boundary issues, <laughs> Pasco County. Uh, do you take anything from that situation, learn, anything you've learned uh, that you might do differently or the same? Wow. Or? Um, yeah, well, we ha we've, we've been fairly successful. I mean, we just went through what I think um, was a, could have been some of the more most contentious boundary shifts in our district in the Fishhawk area. Um, I, my, one, one of my first months on the job, I, I went to visit Missy e. Leonard at, at Stowers, and because I knew, I saw her, her enrollment was like at 1,100, 1,200, it was like 140% capacity. And she said, um, I said, Missy, I said, uh, what's, the, what's the outlook here? It's only going to get bigger. And she said, I've been telling people for a number of years, it's going to um, get way too uh, big out here. And, I, and I, I just felt like there might not have been a will for us to, to do that, to, to really tackle it. So we, we did it through, um, through a, a, a two-step process. We didn't just pull the, rip the Band-Aid off because that community is, is very invested in their schools. I mean, they're very invested in their schools. And so knowing that we have uh, seats available at Boyette, we have a new school coming in in, in a couple years uh, uh, with the Warren Hope Dawson School that's now going to open up next year. What we did is we, we kind of did a little bit of a slow move to ultimately get to where we needed to be. And I will tell you, to know that we made that final decision, and I think we only had three speakers or four speakers come to the board meeting that night to make that decision. We, we felt like doing our community meetings the way we did, allowing parents to make their input. The parents seeing that we adjusted our final recommendation based off of some of that input, I think was really um, a positive move. That was one that I felt like if we can get that right, if we can do this right, then when we go to other communities, and we have to honor where they, they're currently going, but know we have to make changes, let's use the same template moving forward. And if we have to do it one year, we have to take a couple years, and like what we're doing right now, a year and a half in advance before we even move one student from any of our schools in, in the new Tampa area or whatever, we're, we're already out there talking to the community about it. One more question, then I'll stop monopolizing. Um, because I, I I hear sporadically people call me and they say this is being cut or that is being cut, and the presumption is it's because of budget. Um, three examples that have come to my attention: um, the gap program at I guess some high schools that helps incoming freshmen mm -hmm. prepare. Okay. I was told that was cut. Okay. STEM at some middle schools. The the it's the numbers have gone down. I have not checked all of this mm -hmm. out. Um, adventure that was cut. I guess that was funded by a grant. The yeah. after-school enrichment program. Um, will there be any type of summarization of okay? Here are some of the things we have done to balance the budget. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I guess I wonder <clears throat> what things have you had to cut, even though they were good for students, mm -hmm. but just just to make the financial. Yeah, I mean, Situation some of the things you mentioned is interesting. A couple of those, I, I, I have to go back because I don't think any of those, any of those are happening. Okay. Um, I mean, it, there could be a situation where there was a grant funding something for a yeah, period of time, and maybe it, maybe, maybe it went away. Well, yeah. adventure was something that, um, that was you know kept those schools open until six o'clock. We got a lot of feedback from from teachers. I mean, teachers were exhausted. Okay. I mean, they were exhausted, and so we had to cut. We had to. It was more of a not a financial decision. It was more of a, what's in the best interest of of, um, of the students and the teachers because being at school from seven thirty to six o'clock was. I mean, we were literally feeding them dinner. Yeah. Um, and it, it was um, it was just a, a tough long day, and okay. so the, after a couple of years, we started to scale that back. Uh, to get to a better place where we felt like the kids were still getting those after-school activities, um, but the teachers were also 
not they were also uh, they had the stamina to do it as well. It was a, it was a tough. I mean, the GAP program absolutely we 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 continue to do that. So if there was something that happened with GAP. Uh, I'll certainly find maybe that out. Maybe in a particular school. Yeah, maybe in a particular school. Yes. It could have been a school-based issue. No, because those are actually the things that, for our graduation rates with our incoming ninth graders, that we, we are investing in. You know, because mm-hmm. we want kids, uh, that we know that ninth grade year is critical. And if, if they come in and make a better transition in ninth grade, that's going to only set that cohort up for success with the graduation rates. So um, those types of programs actually will, will be enhanced. It should not be any cutting of those programs. So you would say the things that have been cut almost entirely have been things that do not directly affect, they've been things like clerical staff being reassigned and things like supply purchases being watched very closely, travel. Contracts being renegotiated. Right, but the mm-hmm. things that directly touch kids, you've right. helped so, them. So, um, uh, yeah, the, the, of course, teacher-wise, we have to abide by the class size amendment. Yeah. So we do that, and we, have, we are, you know, uh, meeting all those compliance requirements. Hillsborough County has never been at all in any of its years had one penalty assessed to it on class size reduction. So we, in, we invest in the, as, as far as what we have to with classrooms to make sure kids have teachers and there's the right class size. Um, so that's untouchable. You know, so and that's the biggest part of your budget, right? The sixteen thousand employees that are in front of kids every day—that's your biggest part, and you can't touch that. So you have to look at every other piece of your budget to to know how do we um, how do we you know reduce a hundred to hundred and forty million dollar budget deficit without and you know you can't touch that. You don't want to touch that. You want to hold that sacred. So that's where why we have to look at the things such as the transportation piece. How do we become more efficient and effective there? Um, how do we make sure when we negotiate contracts that, and, and we get grants that we know we have a sustainability plan? Um, you know, one of the first things I had to do as superintendent is come before the board and say, we have a grant that is in its seventh year and there is no sustainability plan for it financially. And, and um, two years later, we have, I, I believe, a better a system in place for supporting teachers. Uh, that was with great feedback from stakeholder groups. The union was involved in that. Um, more non-evaluative in the support. Um, the $20 million that we had to take a hit on the first year because there was not a plan coming off of the, of, uh, the, um, the Empowering Effective Teachers Grant has now been reduced down to $8 million this year. And next year will be cut in half again. And a, and a while back, I think it was Dr. Vasquez who said you would need to cut another $130 million from general fund spending. What is that? I mean, the coming year, I guess, could you put numbers on? Yeah, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm watching the legislature very carefully. Okay. As we go through the legislative uh, cycle this year, it's really about, it doesn't, you know, I'm watching both sides. I, I just have a feeling it's going to get closer to the House side than the Senate side on this budget. I just feel that there's going to be a, uh, not going to be a huge increase. So the only thing we may get will be the, maybe a slight growth, you know, in, in the uh, per pupil. And then if we have growth overall as a district, then we would get additional dollars there. But, um, but that's, that means that we still, we still have to go after that bucket and make sure that we're as tight and efficient as possible uh, with our resources and make sure that our categoricals and grants take on what they really, truly should be taking on. So what about sales tax increase? Who starts the ball rolling on that? <laughs> not, not us. <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, and what I told them earlier, Cindy, is that we're in a position of regaining trust right now in, the, uh, in our community. And I think, you know, I would love there to be a day when we have 
and we we hit we you know are on track to our ninety percent graduation rate, and, and the and the community sees what we've done, um, not just fiscally but instructionally and through a lot of different means to support kids the right way, and we get to a point where. Hillsborough County Public Schools and the, and the school system, um, the education in general in this community is spotlighted as, as, as a great thing for our kids and families. And therefore, it's great for business. It's great for everybody else that wants to come here. You know, when, when you build that type of reputation, that's what helps the community feel better, but we want, to, we want to be the best then, you know. So how can we be the best? And sometimes that's the case you have to build before you can ever go to the community and say, we need your help. The landscape looks pretty daunting, though. So you've got $300 million shortfall coming. Yeah. You've got a state and a federal system looking yeah, at vouchers. Yeah, we're not talking about federal yet. Yeah, yeah. looking at vouchers and looking at charters, yeah. not looking at traditional public schools. Yeah. So with the landscape not changing, you're yeah. in trouble financially. Yeah. I don't think I'm overstating that. And, but it is changing. Mm-hmm. So like, you have to be at the... Uh, you have to be at the top. We have to be at the top of our game. I mean, we literally have to, and not only be at the top of the game. We have to make sure the community knows we're at the top of our game. Some of the, some of the, um, uh, I think the challenges that we run into with with the landscape being already set against us, is is also, um, you know, do the perception of people with regards to the success of the of our school district and our school. So we have to work on. We have to keep our eyes focused. And because we can become very, very distracted, and yes, we do have to to um, have conversations around and, and some some hard decisions to make around revenue and around those types of things. But we have to almost accept right now, based off of the landscape, that um, that for instance, the charter um, movement is not going to go away. Okay, right? That's 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 here. You might have charters opening right next to your. Uh Struggling. I mean, there's two hundred million mm-hmm. that the speaker wants to spend. They're passing the bill this afternoon mm-hmm. on these schools of hope. hope. We've got Hillsborough schools on that list. Mm-hmm. Twelve schools. Mm-hmm. And if is, is, that, is, that, okay. is that good pub, public but, policy? Uh, I mean, I'm trying, no, I'm trying to figure out no, what, it's what, not, what to say about this. Well, uh, let me help you. Let, yeah, help me with that. Okay. Tell, me, tell, <laughs> tell me what I tell me what we should say because I'm like. So I think I think part of it is is so you have two hundred million and you don't even have a, a guarantee of a, of an outcome yet, right? right? So that's that's the first meaning that everybody will. Yeah, it, it, I mean two hundred million dollars going, and the the people they're trying to get to come do this do it differently than they want them to do it. Well, and they yes. have little yeah. or no experience in Florida. Yeah. So I so I think that's part of my challenge with the two hundred million dollars is is I heard him say the speaker say just yesterday we'll be willing to talk to the house but they got all kinds of seven hundred million dollars. Pork projects, and you know, I, I hear that talk, but then I hear, you know, this this happen, you know, and and um, and part of the challenge is 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 we have uh, um, we have lots of really good charter schools in Hillsborough County, but there's very few that want to sometimes tackle some of the very tough work yeah. in our in our communities, and so that's something to do a little bit of an investigation on, see where schools are really opening now, where they used to open and where they're opening now. Mm-hmm. Because I think you'll find is that, you know, doing the really hard work um, in some of our challenging, uh, in, in a neighborhood that where they're facing great challenges, they've realized the accountability system is a tough, it's a, it's a tough system, you know, and, and inside um, the, the same challenges that, that um, Sulphur Springs and Edison and Miles are facing, they will face. So if you're a public school entity and you must enroll children that want to come into your school, what are going to be what what are you going to what conditions are you going to set differently 
that will allow the, the students to be successful. So we have to be at the, that's why I say we have to be at the top of our game. Um, matter of fact, you know, in some cases, in some districts, uh, um, they've taken their public school uh, system and they've moved right into the charter school world. You know, and, and some districts have moved in doing their own charter schools, di district yeah. charter schools as well, to kind of free themselves. There's, there's lots of different options you can put out there, but, but I would say with this particular bill that I, I haven't seen the will lately for a lot of entities to go into our highest need areas and, and set up camp and do the hard work. And those that do, I, I want to give them, uh, I want to commend them and give them this, you know, the, the ability to make that impact. And if we can learn from them, and we just had a, a charter application come last board meeting for a, a, a K-2 school that's near Potter. Well, ultimately, those students are going to come to Potter. So we want to, we want to partner with, with that um, organization. They're only going to serve about 50 students. But if they're going to do something really good with those 50 kids that we can learn from, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be collaborating. And, and but but I don't. Other than that, um, I don't see a lot of the the entities coming in and really doing that kind of work. Is the is the school of hope proposal? Is it likely to exacerbate your problem with um, schools that are under capacity? Like I don't know it, what it your, could potentially. I don't know what the yeah, I would say are, the most. Um, some of them all. all of them are element. Are they mostly elementary some schools? Middle. No, I think the Ambure is on there. So the majority of our capacity issues reside in our in city within schools. our middle schools. Yeah. And so uh, the elementary schools are fairly. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that we rezone doing some rezoning up in the. It's just not the Mosey uh, um, closing that is going to have to. You know, redesignate those students to um, to the new to other locations. But then we have Forest Hills that's overcrowded. A lot of the USF, I mean, Mort's up to like seven or eight hundred kids. We, a lot of our schools up in that area are at capacity or greater. So we we have to be our elementary. I don't think it would it would be more. Um, it probably wouldn't you know be much. The of middle that. schools are worth mostly. Yeah, middle schools. OEM schools, mm -hmm. Monroe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, no, man. No, no, it's it's. Do you think there's a role to play for local school districts to get more involved in the debate? You know, right now it goes on in Washington, it goes on in, in both the chambers in Tallahassee. But you don't, I, I, I'm not getting the sense from where I sit that the districts is, you know, through the superintendents association or the school boards association are speaking very loudly about this. You say parents have, ex, you know, mm -hmm. expectations. Is there a moment when you say to your public, you know, can you help us out here, you know? And, and I think we have. I mean, we it, it was actually interesting two weeks ago to be in Tallahassee and the number of legislatures that showed up at the Florida School Boards Association breakfast that we held specifically for them. People were leaving and legislatures were still coming in. We didn't expect them to actually show up. But it was the first time that I've ever been up there that they actually came, 10, 15 of them, and people had made other appointments with other legislatures, so they were walking out the door. We're usually done by 10. we got to go, and they were still coming in. And and the likes of Senator Latvala, Sprawls was there. They were all coming in and having conversations <coughs> with us, um, and their offices were filled. I, I don't think I've ever seen that many school board members up there. What, the, what I'm hearing from them is... We're not hearing from parents. We can listen to them all day and to us all day, but we're in we're too far in the bureaucratic issue. They want to hear from parents and kids. So that's where our challenge is, is how do we ignite parents who are concerned, who are not just worrying about my little Johnny at, at his school and he's doing fine, to worry about the entire system 
Um, and, you, you know, normally you're calculating how many years do I have left to get through, you know, how involved do I want to get. So people like, um, you know, the Alliance for Public Schools, yeah, the PTA, PTA, you know, yeah. they really, really push parent involvement, but they're not hearing. I mean, the testing bill just failed because they did not hear from families. They did not hear from students or parents. So, you know, the house just wiped it clean. We didn't hear from enough people. It's not that big of a deal to them. When we were all up there talking about reducing testing, superintendents and school boards, as well as all of the lobbyists. That well, were there. they're not listening or reading the newspaper, right, if they're, if yeah. they're not hearing yeah, that's, that's from a great parents. Point. Not, that's a great point. I think the they're other not. thing is... Testing, because that's loud and clear. Yeah. What's been, we've, we've got it, we've got a, because um, I know Dr. Grego and I um, in panelists, uh, we feel like we have to become more vocal regionally too. I think that's that's powerful. I think, you know, we come at it sometimes by individual counties and, and some of the people that work in our government relations office. We have to, if you think about it, Pinellas and, and, and Hillsborough is like a day. You know, if we if we come together with, with regard to regional impact and how we, we hook up with local chambers and, and parent organizations around how we do this, I think we can be much more powerful as a collective. I think we have to get to um, and talk with our legislators much earlier on in the process because what happened this year, and you saw it, is on the House side, they came out so fast, so yeah. hard, so far over here right. that, that it's like, it's like, well, wait a minute, is that, if we're this far apart already, uh, what, are we even going to have an opportunity to have a voice in this just to get back what to hear? You know, it, that becomes our challenge then. So I think we, we have to, I think, regionalize our efforts more, and, and, and I think that's got, that's got, that can be something that, that superintendents and boards um, can do in a more regional uh, effort. Plus the reality, and we've seen this over and over again, where charter schools are able to push kids out, and then they land in the district schools. And I remember things I've read about the building in New York, and I had a charter school, and I had a district school, charter school is much better. Right, because there were the school that the childhood was more difficult to educate Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I, I think... Yeah, we, we have pretty good articulation here in our community. I mean, Ms. Hodgins does a great job working with all of our charter schools. We um, we try to make sure everything is done the right way. I mean, I, I really feel like that... Um, that And, and if the, she feels like she's heard something like that, I mean, she'll go directly and we'll address it with the school, make sure that the child gets to... I mean, because that's a public school. The child yeah. should absolutely be getting the very... Um, every chance possible to be successful. That's what we would do in our traditional public schools. The president's uh, immigration crackdown, have you noticed any impact in your schools? No. um, The the only impact initially, John, was more of just a fear issue. I think uh, kids had a lot of concerns based on what they were hearing their families talk about at home. So we had uh, to make sure our guidance counselors, our, our social workers, you know, were really engaged with our families around that. We, we did hear of some families going into hiding, you know, because they initially thought they were going to come after. John Newman from our security office, I mean, he's networked with all the police agencies, you know, or, or law enforcement agencies. There, there's no overt plan in Hillsborough County to come into schools and to, you know, to do anything um, like that. I mean, and, and they would have to, any federal agency would have to, you know, go through, um, you know, in some respects, go through our local agencies if they're going to go into any of our schools. But there really hasn't been any impact that we have seen other than that, just that initial fear and, you know, what 
is the next thing. I think that's so many things have happened in two or three months. I think everyone's waiting what's going to happen this week, and, and I think just that unsettled nature is, is what um, we've seen. Took, um, the board took an important first step by passing the equity policy, and there was a workshop Tuesday, a lot of strong statements, but it, it was clear that you're at the very beginning yeah. of, of turning that into an actual plan. Mm -hmm. I know Cindy's going to be speaking at an event, I understand, Saturday mm -hmm. on equity in education if you could if you could say a few words mm -hmm. of where you see that whole effort mm -hmm. going in order yep. to make sure that there is equity mm -hmm. well that's the, that I think that's the one of the um, big uh, pieces of that whole school, school turnaround you know model early childhood great teachers great leaders and then you have to have equity you have, and and you turn around you know a school like like a Potter or Sulphur Springs or Edison will make turnarounds <coughs> When you have equity, that means you have the best teachers and the, and the best instruction um, at every school. Because, much like I had stated in, in my op-ed, you know, Potter students aren't Potter students two years ago. You know, the, the, there's a lot of mobility in our, yeah. in our schools. So making sure that we have, and that's why the area superintendent role has been critical for the implementation. I needed, um, rather than having all those small cohorts of people in the middle, I needed to have leaders in the areas that understood what great instruction looked like. They were putting their eyes on it every single day. They were helping leaders at schools, help their teachers at their schools, make sure they're implementing um, best practices. So on the instructional side, equity is huge to achieve our 90 by 20 goal. It's going to be huge with regards to our uh, changing the dynamics in our workforce. Uh, I believe you know having you know a student population that, that does not in a in a, um, a workforce population that doesn't mirror each other. Not that you will ever get there, but there's got to be some some a level of of effort that we as a district have to put into uh, leveling that out. Um, we have to have look at our processes, look at our recruitment, look at everything in that particular area. And I want to going back to future plans that I mentioned the other day. So future plans is, is that assessment they take their sophomore year. We're going to start identifying this year potential future teachers. That teacher we're teaching is their future. And so we've got to. And if we know we have a diverse population now, one of the best ways we can procure a great teaching force in six to seven years is to start working with our juniors and seniors getting them into some of our other schools, just opportunities to shadow or do something, and then create that post-secondary opportunity for them to ultimately be teachers. You know, and now you, have, now you have a lot more control rather than waiting who's going to apply in your district. I hope there is a diverse workforce. No? Can't hope. <coughs> so. Well, looking at the here and now, that you mentioned equity and the need to have equity in the higher-needs schools. And so I, I understand you to say... To, to take steps sooner to get the <coughs> experienced, highly qualified, right. most effective yeah. teachers in the schools. Yeah, and it's taken a year to develop that program. It doesn't happen, like, overnight. Um, and it's taken a year to really develop so that we end up having, having what happened Monday. Yeah, that was a good idea. <clears throat> Can I go 60,000 feet on you? Yeah. Uh, been at this a couple of years. Yeah. Um, Steep, steep learning curve hasn't always been easy. What have uh, you learned about yourself? How have you changed? And what do you know about the district that you didn't know before? Wow. Well, you know, I, I love the work. Um, this has been my wife's and my passion for our lives. And so uh, I, th I think I made a statement to, to someone the other day. I, I've, 
I think I've led enough in abnormal times. <laughs> I'm ready to lead in, in some normal times. Uh, but in the abnormal times, you learn about who you are. You know, and, and um, it's funny, so when we, we, I came in as superintendent, the board and, and the staff did a, did a retreat, and we learned all about our personalities, right? So they learned that um, the superintendent was a, in, the, in the DISC model. I don't know if you've ever taken the DISC assessment, but I'm a pure S. Okay, so as pure an S as you can. So what is a pure S? It's a, it's a people, relational, everything is about having the right relationships. And what, um, what, what I struggled with the most as a, as a leader is I knew with that relational capital issue, we had a $100 million budget deficit. There was no way I could go forward without spending that. And unfortunately, it was going to mean the relationships that I value the most um, could potentially be harmed. And that, that you learn as a leader how even though that's what you know is, is on your plate, you've got to do it keeping your eyes on your kids. And so that's... I know that I've um, I've created lots of quiet elevators when I walked on in the building. Uh, I've created a lot of quiet rooms when I walked in the rooms. Um, all of a sudden, there's a hush. Um, but I think I, I think I I have to just stay true to who I am. Um, I, I I'm in the position I am because I felt like everything I did and the current role I was playing was always about the right thing about kids. I don't think about the next thing ever. I just think about today, and I think about what we have to do to keep moving forward uh, on our plans. And I think, you know, the to know that we have curbed uh, about a $100 million deficit and, and only had to lay off less than 10 people in our district shows that I tried everything I could to keep that relationship, you know, along the way. Because, you know, there... But, but even reassigning people in Hillsborough County to other roles was, was in some cases, a, a tough, tough thing for people to take. And they had never experienced that. Um, I think the other thing I, uh, I've learned about myself is, um, is I was, I, I've become more politically savvy <laughs> around the, uh, the landmines that exist in a role, such as a superintendent. You know, you, you walk into it and, and you think, I, have a good rep- I think I have a good reputation. I think I've built this reputation um, over a number of years. I've worked hard at it. I've, I've tried to do good by people. But you know that there are always there are people waiting for you to, to make your first misstep and to, and to see you, you know, th- see things like that happen. So you guard, you become a little guarded around that, but then you also become um, very much in tune with, with the, the, the political landscape because it is the nature of the work. You, you do have to know you have to keep uh, uh, dialoguing, even if people don't necessarily have the same opinion as you do. Uh, you have to keep on uh, doing your best to um, sometimes in difficult decisions uh, leverage You know the, the forces you have to leverage in order to help everyone see the why you have to make that decision. And so I think those are some of the, the things that I'm still growing as a leader, and I've had a very supportive board to help me through, you know, these first two years, and, and, um, and like I said, I look forward to leading in more normal times. <laughs> that marks the end of our excerpted interview with Hillsborough County School Superintendent Jeff Akins. You can comment on the interview and on all other issues on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and you can catch up with the latest Florida education news on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. Thanks again for listening.